Welcome to the Albany Update with Reverend Jason J. McGuire, Executive Director of New Yorkers for Constitutional Freedoms. Now, with this week's Albany Update, here's Jason McGuire. Hello, and thank you for joining me for another episode of the Albany Update. Today, I'll bring you five different stories. Some are from New York, while others are not. However, the biggest news of the week does come from New York. It's a win for churches who would like to provide armed security for services. Let's get started. On February 1st of this year, Governor Kathy Hochul released a budget proposal that made changes to the Concealed Carry Improvement Act, or the CCIA, that would affect New York's houses of worship. Specifically, the proposal would recognize that unpaid security personnel at houses of worship are allowed to carry firearms. The CCIA attempted to limit the right to concealed carry at houses of worship to paid security and law enforcement officers. The courts have found this attempted limitation to be unconstitutional. Governor Hochul's proposal to recognize the right to concealed carry by unpaid security personnel at houses of worship is consistent with the court rulings that have been made to date in regard to the CCIA. It appears that the Hochul administration has acknowledged that the CCIA goes too far and that a course correction is needed. It makes sense for the governor to cut her losses on this issue, as the courts have not looked kindly upon the CCIA and are unlikely to uphold a law that is so blatantly and aggressively hostile to New Yorkers' rights under the Second Amendment. You may remember that only eight days after New York's pistol permit law was struck down by the Supreme Court of the United States, that Governor Kathy Hochul signed the Concealed Carry Improvement Act. The passage of the CCIA made it necessary for churches across New York to file lawsuits so that they could continue to protect themselves and their congregants. And while it appears that those lawsuits have sent the governor a message, churches should not have had to take legal action to defend themselves from this unfair and unconstitutional law in the first place. Now, while it is extremely unlikely that we'll see any kind of enforcement when churches have armed security teams presently, I can't yet tell churches that they can have armed security. We do have to wait for this law to change through the budget process to make it completely legal again. There is an outstanding stay, but it specifically applies to a handful of pastors and churches, not as a broader statement. Nevertheless, we believe this is on the way, and that by the time the budget passes by April 1st, we should have this problem rectified. So we're pretty excited to see this kind of a victory, and I appreciate churches who've been standing up for their constitutional rights and for the right to defend those members of their congregations. And now, turning to another topic, a patient advocacy group that had linked arms with a pro-assisted suicide organization has recognized the error of its ways. Last year, the Alzheimer's Association, which describes itself as a worldwide voluntary health organization dedicated to Alzheimer's care, support, and research, formed a working relationship with Compassion and Choices. Compassion and Choices was formerly known as the Hemlock Society. Compassion and Choices is one of the leading assisted suicide advocacy groups in New York and across the nation. According to The Blaze, Compassion and Choices openly states on its website that it hopes that within five years, half the U.S. population will live in a location where medical aid in dying or assisted suicide is an open and accessible medical practice. On January 29th of this year, the Alzheimer's Association issued a press release stating that it had reversed course. 
the association acknowledged that it had failed to do appropriate due diligence, indicated that the values of compassion and choices were inconsistent with those of the association, and apologized. The association added that it supports a palliative care approach as the highest quality of -of end-of-life care for individuals with advanced dementia. New Yorkers for Constitutional Freedoms thanks the Alzheimer's Association for ending its association with compassion and choices. Groups that want to help people live have no business joining forces with groups that actively promote suicide. And turning to yet another topic, the COVID-19 pandemic has coincided with a shift away from public schools and toward homeschooling. According to the Albany Times Union, the average school district outside New York City lost 23 students to homeschooling since the outbreak of the pandemic. The five upstate school districts that have been the biggest homeschooling-related exodus are Arkport in Steuben County, Sherman in Chautauqua County, Rochester, Kingston, and Schenectady. In these five districts, an average of 284 students have transitioned out of public schools and into homeschooling since the COVID-19 outbreak. Across New York, 54,000 students are being homeschooled. The Times Union indicates that over the past few years, the pandemic was the biggest reason families chose to begin homeschooling. Some families believe that public schools were placing too many pandemic-related restrictions on their students, while others believe that public schools were not being sufficiently careful. While the Times Union did not mention it, another reason some families have moved toward homeschooling is that parents have grown uncomfortable with the subject matter that their children are being taught. Pandemic-related school closures and hybrid school schedules have helped some parents to become more familiar with the curricula being used at their children's schools. In particular, lessons on gender and race have created deep discomfort among parents. New Yorkers for Constitutional Freedoms encourages Christian parents to take advantage of the various schooling options that are available to them. In New York, parents are free to homeschool their children or to send them to Christian schools private schools, charter schools, or traditional public schools. Some Christian parents may find that the homeschool option or the Christian school option works best for their children. Parents whose children attend public schools are encouraged to be vigilant, to get involved in their children's schools, to protect their children from ungodly instruction, and to be a force for good. And while we continue to advocate for school choice in Albany, parents should know that they do have options. All right, here's a fourth story that we're pretty excited about. It didn't occur in our state, but I'm hopeful that one day we'll be able to say this of New York. A promising new law to combat youth exposure to pornography has gone into effect in the state of Louisiana. As of January 1st, a new Louisiana law requires viewers of pornographic websites to use government-provided identification to prove that they are adults. According to the Washington Stand, The law stipulates that sites with at least 33% or more of pornographic content must require users to verify their ages before being able to access the site. Anti-porn advocates applauded this change. Layla Micklewaite of the Justice Defense Fund contends that age verification requirements will cause online porn sites to lose 50% of their viewership. One pornographic website has already complied with the new law, by installing age verification on its site. Dr. Eleanor Gatton of the National Center on Sexual Exploitation commented, Just as one must show an ID to enter an adult bookstore or theater, 
one should have to demonstrate he or she is an adult to access online pornography. Dr. Gatton added that the negative effects of pornography on children are real and include low self-esteem, hypersexualization, and engaging in harmful behaviors. Other studies show that pornography exposure is a tool in grooming, and those exposed are more vulnerable to assault and predatory acts. New Yorkers for Constitutional Freedoms applauds the state of Louisiana for enacting this pro-child, pro-family measure, and we call on the state of New York to follow suit. In fact, we'll be actively looking for sponsors in the legislature to carry similar legislation here. This next story comes out of Pennsylvania, where a pro-life activist from the Keystone State has been acquitted of federal charges in connection with an altercation outside a Philadelphia abortion clinic. On January 30th of this year, a federal jury acquitted Mark Hauk of charges that he had violated the Federal Freedom of Access to Clinic Entrances Act, or the FACE Act, which makes it a crime to use force with the intent to injure intimidate, and interfere with anyone because that person is a provider of reproductive health care. The U.S. Department of Justice alleged that Hauk had pushed an abortion clinic escort to the ground twice in October 2021. Hauk's attorney countered that Hauk had a one-off altercation with a man who harassed Hauk's minor son, approximately 100 feet from the abortion business and across the street. After the altercation, the Justice Department sent 20-plus heavily armed federal agents with shields and long guns to arrest Hauk in front of his family. If convicted, Hauk could have been sentenced to up to 11 years in prison and fined up to $350,000. Pro-life advocates have noted the contrast between the federal government's aggressive approach to this case and its relative indifference to the dozens of attacks on pro-life pregnancy centers that have occurred over the past year. Hauk was represented by Peter Breen of the Thomas More Society. Following the verdict, Breen commented, We took on Goliath, the full might of the United States government, and won. The jury saw through and rejected the prosecution's discriminatory case, which was harassment from day one. This is a win for Mark and the entire pro-life movement. The Biden Department of Justice's intimidation against pro-life people and people of faith has been put in its place. New Yorkers for Constitutional Freedoms is pleased with the verdict in the Hauk case and hopes that the Biden administration will refrain from using heavy-handed tactics against pro-life Americans in the future. I hope that you have been encouraged by some of the stories you have heard in today's program. I recognize that we live in New York State and legislatively things are very challenging for us. And yet even here in New York, we are seeing a victory in regard to the Second Amendment and houses of worship having church security teams. We're going to win that. And that's a situation where even in deep blue New York, New Yorkers for Constitutional Freedoms is making a difference on these issues. Then you heard a couple of other stories coming out of Louisiana or Pennsylvania, places where they're seeing victories on various matters, some in the courts and some legislatively. But even the victories there are giving us hope here. Take, for example, the Louisiana case. That instance is the thought, is the beginning, is the promise of something that could happen in New York. Really putting age verification on pornographic websites ought to be a bipartisan issue. And there are probably Democrats here in New York that would vote for something like that. And there are probably some Republicans who would vote against it. 
so it's not a strictly partisan issue. And that's a part of why our organization exists. We're not here to represent merely the Republican Party or the Democratic Party, but we really want to represent the biblical position on the issues as we see them. We want to make sure that we are taking the eternal principles of God's Word and applying it to our current cultural setting. I'm hopeful for some of the things that we are seeing. There are places that we can win in the Empire State. Sometimes it will be in the courts, in the case of what happened with houses of worship and church security teams that are driving the governor to take legislative action. Other times it may mean introducing legislation that in a bipartisan fashion has a chance of one day passing here in New York. But in either case, we are seeing victories. And so in the midst of what sometimes looks like very discouraging news here in the Empire State, understand that there are pieces that are still moving and God still has a plan for our state. Let me just turn very quickly and remind you that we have a Bible study that meets in the state capitol. It meets Tuesday mornings, and we have about 15 different members that are actively participating. About 35 that are currently receiving information about our Bible study, but 15 to 18 participate on a regular basis. That's encouraging, and we are seeing members of both political parties, upstate and downstate, various ethnicities that are participating in that study. God is at work. So thank you for helping us to influence legislation and legislators for the Lord Jesus Christ. We seek to be your voice in the State House during some very challenging moments in history. You have been listening to the Albany Update, hosted by the Reverend Jason J. McGuire, Executive Director of New Yorkers for Constitutional Freedoms. New Yorkers for Constitutional Freedoms exists to influence legislation and legislators for the Lord Jesus Christ. To learn more about this ministry, issues you've heard on the program, or to make a financial contribution in support of New Yorkers for Constitutional Freedoms, visit albanyupdate.com or call 585-225-2340. Additionally, you can mail correspondence to P.O. Box 107, Spencerport, New York, 14559. You can receive the latest legislative updates at facebook.com slash albanyupdate, Follow New Yorkers for Constitutional Freedoms on Twitter at Albany Update or sign up to receive the weekly Albany Update email by texting the word FREEDOM to 22828.